1: Hello, Giants fans, and welcome to a new edition of the Valentine's News podcast here on Big Blue View Radio, part of your SB Nation family of podcasts. As we wait for the opening of training camp, which is just about two weeks out at this point, thought we would take a little bit of time to uh, to look ahead to the upcoming 2021 season for the Giants. And, and I thought we would, uh, we would talk a little bit about the, the upcoming season opener against the, the Denver Broncos on September 12th. And here to help me do that is Jeffrey Essery, a podcaster from Mile High Report, SB Nation's website that covers the Broncos. Jeffrey, hey, thanks very, very much for, uh, for stopping by.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me.
1: Hey, so I warned you as we talked about this offline. I warned you that this question was coming. How on earth are the Denver Broncos five and 11 losers of five out of their last six games? How on earth are they favored to come to MetLife stadium and beat the giants in week one? You got, you got You got, you got to You got to explain this to me. Cause I don't get it.
2: You know, um, I'd like to come in here with the, the orange and blue color colored glasses and, um, you know, explain it to you, but I have no clue either. <laughs> but, you know, I, I'm not sure what they're looking at. I mean, um, I think there's so much up in the air with the Broncos that it's probably really hard to predict. And so maybe that's why, you know, they're kind of throwing something against the wall or something, but I mean, Denver still doesn't know what, who their starting quarterback is going to be. And so I think that's going to be a, a huge factor. And, and so we, you know, we may see that shift. Um, they, I, I want it, uh, have the Broncos favored to go in week one on the road and, and beat the giants. And, um, you know, I, I think when you look at it on paper, they're probably pretty comparable teams. And so when you look at the fact that the Broncos probably have a lot of kinks to work out, particularly on the offensive side, depending on who's going to be their quarterback, um, you've got guys coming back from injury that haven't played together. You potentially are starting, you know, Teddy Bridgewater who hasn't played in the offense. And so, There's a lot of question marks for the Broncos for anyone to think that they can hit the ground running, particularly on the road against a team and the Giants who should be better this upcoming season. I'd love to chat with you about that. You know, I mean, I'm assuming Saquon Barkley is going to be back healthy and Daniel Jones has another year in the system. And so I expect it to be a tough matchup. So I'm not sure what they're thinking there. And I think it'll be far from a cakewalk for sure from the Broncos perspective.
1: Well, you know, we, we, we sort of went there already and, and, and we have to talk about, we have to talk about Aaron Rodgers, of course, because of all of the speculation. And now I know, I, I think you and I have to understand that there's, there's really only one reason why Broncos giants, two teams that combined to win 11 games last year. There's only one reason why they have the late afternoon slot week one, the Fort. 425 Eastern Time game and that's because of the potential of Aaron Rodgers winding up in Denver. Honestly, I don't see it happening. Uh, you know, I I think that that he's going to play this out and play this game and wind up in Green Bay or wind up or or the Packers are just going to wind up forcing him to sit out the year, but but where are Denver fans on, on all of this speculation? Are you tired of it? Are you dying to have Rogers? Um, You know, just what's, what's the thought process right now?
2: Well, Broncos fans have kind of been on the roller coaster ever since really um, George Payton came into town and it was clear that drew lock wasn't really in his, um, you know, was going to at least have competition and wasn't going to be handed the starting job. And, there was a lot of rumors that went around early in the offseason season around Deshaun Watson. And so there it was kind of a similar conversation of would he be traded and, and all of that. And so Broncos fans kind of went through it on, you know, 1.0 with Deshaun Watson and then all the, you know, off field stuff and legal issues popped up and you know, that kind of died down. And then it kind of happened again with Aaron Rodgers that, uh, you know, an all-star quarterback might become available. And so Broncos fans, I think are, They'd be all over it if a, a guy like that became available and somebody that would instantly turn the Broncos into a playoff and maybe even Super Bowl contender just by signing his name on paper. Um, and so, of course, Broncos fans are excited about it. But at this point, I think it, it's been such a waiting game and such a big game of chicken between the Packers and and Rodgers. It's it's kind of out of our hands and. I, th- I think the, the prevailing thought is the Broncos would be interested and they would be willing to give up a pretty significant haul if he became available. But at this point in the offseason, you can't count on that. And so I think Broncos fans are kind of resigned themselves to, hey, here's the two guys that we do have. We've got a camp battle coming up in just a couple of weeks. And if Rogers shows up, you know, he'll, he'll walk in maybe – the, the week the season starts or something. And, and a guy like him, of course, he can jump in and, and pick it up. No problem. But until something like that happens, I think Broncos fans are, are kind of just looking ahead at, at the guys that we have on the roster currently.
1: It, is the feeling, you know, in the Bronco fan base that, that Denver is a team that's really good enough to justify that move, to justify giving up that big haul? You know, that they, that they really could make themselves a you know a true contender by making a move like that?
2: I think so at least for particularly this season and it's interesting because at the end of this season, I mean Denver for as, as much as they haven't won in the last couple of years, they're this year, at least on paper, Look like a team that is a quarterback away from contending with the Kansas City Chiefs, at least in the division, and maybe making a run for the playoffs. When you look across that defense, you're returning Von Miller, you've got Bradley Chubb on the opposite side, and both of those guys haven't been healthy together in a Vic Fangio defense. And so if you can just keep those guys on the field rushing the passer, you've instantly got a, you know, an all-star defense right there, just from a pass rushing standpoint. And then their secondary with the moves that have been made with Patrick Sertan being brought in. And I mean, I think it's the best safety tandem in the league and and that's, I don't know if that's very arguable um, that Denver has in the secondary with Kareem Jackson and Justin Simmons. And then you've got guys like Kyle Fuller who have played in Vic Fangio's system, Bryce Callahan, but there's a lot of question marks in terms of health, but on paper, if everybody stays healthy, you've got a really, really good defense. And Von Miller, you know, it's come out and said, that, Hey, this is probably the best team that we've had in a while. And so, you know, there's question marks on the offensive side, but you've got a lot of young talent and the offensive line is um, maybe solidifying a little bit with the way Garrett Bowles played last year at left tackle and Dalton Reisner's solid. Graham Glasgow's a veteran. And you've got a lot of weapons. You've got Noah Fant, who's a first-round pick. You've got Jerry Judy now being brought in. Cortland Sutton comes back from injury, who's a top probably 10 receiver in the NFL when he's fully healthy. And so I think there's an argument to be made that the Broncos have a really, really good roster that is a quarterback away, potentially. But the the issue is, from the Broncos' kind of team-building standpoint, that kind of goes away after this year. You've really got a, a small window this year. I mean, you're, you're looking at Von Miller getting up in his, you know, 30s. Kareem Jackson's contract is up. There's a, And Cortland Sutton needs a new deal. So after this year, there's going to be a lot of shakeup. And I think all, you'll see a vastly different Broncos team after this year. So, you know, all of that combined to me makes a lot of sense to, to really swing for the fences for a guy that you could, they could come in and and make you a contender from day one. Um, You know, it's unfortunate that the way things have shaken out with drew lock, that he's not hitting his stride when all of this happened. I think that was the long-term plan for the Broncos, right. Is that you're writing a rookie contract and drew lock that's coming into his own as these veteran deals are expiring and you're making a run, you know, last season and this season, but you know, that just hasn't panned out. And so if I'm, George Payton, I'm maybe scrambling and trying to see if I can get the Broncos, the quarterback that they need to try to make the rest of this roster worth it. Because it's been the last couple of years, at least as Bronco fans, that we've come into the offseason and looked at the roster on paper and said, man, we can be pretty good if we can get our quarterback situation, you know, under control. And it just hasn't happened.
1: In terms of that quarterback situation, is your expectation that, uh, that it's going to be Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, that's what it sounds like to me, you know, from the way you're talking about how the organization feels about, about Drew Locke. Do you expect them if nothing changes to, uh, to try to roll with Bridgewater?
2: Yeah. And I think that's probably the key phrase is if nothing changes. I mean, I think the, the ideal thing for Broncos fans is that Drew Locke is starting because that would mean he's earned it. I think the team, isn't going to give it to him unless he comes out and significantly outperforms Teddy Bridgewater. So I've said, you know, for a while, and even on our podcast that the best case scenario probably for Broncos fans is that drew lock is the starter because it means he's shown significant progress. If he doesn't in camp, then I think, you know, Teddy Bridgewater is going to be the guy that the organization goes with. And if I was a betting man, I I would bet on drew lock not making the, the step if he hasn't shown it already. I, I doubt one offseason or a, a you know a camp when he's splitting fifty percent of the reps that he's gonna show enough to to make you feel confident going in with him as opposed to a guy like Bridgewater, who you know isn't as dynamic or maybe he doesn't have the splash, but particularly in Pat Shermer's system, I think he can run it really well and he's an accurate passer and he gets the ball out quick. And I, I think he won't be a um, an anchor on the offense that drew lock was last year. And when you have some of the receivers around him and the defense that Denver is hoping to put on the field, that's kind of what you're looking for is a guy that just isn't going to be a liability and throw a lot to the other team and, you know, make the plays that you want him to make.
1: Yeah. We're, we're, we're familiar with uh, not necessarily so much, throwing the ball to the other team but but putting it on the ground for the other team so <laughs> so we, we feel your pain in in, in that sense um, I, I wanted to ask you uh, you talked a little bit about von Miller what are the expectations for Miller coming off that ankle injury you know playing I think he'll be 32 this season um, are we are we expecting to see? you know, the Von Miller, you know, that was the best defensive player in the NFL. Um, Are we expecting to see, you know, a, a limited Von Miller who's maybe on a pitch count a little bit? What are, you know, what are we, what are we expecting to see from, from him?
2: I think Bronco fans are hopeful that he would pick, you know, pick up right where he left off before the injury, but obviously you've got to take into consideration his age and the fact that he's coming back from yet another injury. But I mean, um, the way that he was looking prior to the injury, he was at least from my accounts sort of you know, what was coming right to camp and what, or what people were seeing from his off season workouts and stuff is that he was kind of in the best shape that he had been in. And so it, it's a, it was a devastating injury for it to hit him right then. But I think Broncos fans are hopeful that he can pick up and, and really be that um, still that number one guy with Bradley Chubb on the other side, almost them both being one, a one B. And um, you know, I think, Vic Fangio will rotate him if, if they need to, but they, they really don't have a ton of depth that you feel good about behind a guy like Von Miller, that you would want to make him just a third down situational guy or, or something like that. I think you want you want him to prove that make him force your hand and, and make you take him out of the game if he's maybe looking a little bit slow and sluggish, but I think they're gonna try to you know come out and um, treat him like the the starter and um, him and Bradley Chubb get after the passer. And if he can't, maybe you start to reduce his, his snaps and put him on a pitch count. But I think Broncos fans are hopeful that he can come back.
1: I mean, I know I saw something the other day that, you know, he's talking about playing for another five to seven years or something like that. And I mean, I know I think Tom Brady's going to try to play until he's eligible for social security or something, <laughs> but, uh, but, I mean, is that, I don't even know if you can answer this question, but is he insane thinking that he can play outside linebacker, you know, in the NFL for seven more years?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think you, all those guys are very optimistic, right. About what they can do. And and obviously they're, they're in the position that they're in because they think they're the best and that, you know, no one's going to ever tell them that they're not going to be the best. And so, um, I look at a guy like DeMarcus Ware, who I think had a, you know, extended his career a little bit, but injuries kind of uh, ended up cutting it short when he came over to the Broncos, but he retired at you know, age 34, um, was in some back issue. He was looking good other than some back issues that, didn't, uh, you know, caused him to eventually retire. But, um, you know, then you have a guy like Cameron Wake, who I think is, is he on his 35th he's 35 or, or 36 and seems almost ageless and so uh, it's possible that, that Vaughn's able to squeeze out a couple more years. I think the, the biggest thing is going to be, you know, his game is so much predicated on his burst and his bend is, you know, how long can he maintain something like that? But at the same time, he's been in the league long enough now that he's picked up a lot of you know, moves and, and things like that, that I think he could potentially offset some of the, if he doesn't have the same quickness that he always did have, he's crafty enough and, and has developed an arsenal of pass rush moves where he can maybe offset it a little bit, but I don't think he's going to play for another seven years, but I think a couple, couple more good years. I think after this year, the, the Broncos probably sit down and look at his contract situation and it, what the Broncos the fans have talked about is, you know, potentially adding on another two years or something that's at a reduced rate from his current salary and see what happens from there. Not a lot of guarantees, but um, we'll, we'll see what happens with his contract situation. But I think, you know, Broncos fans and the front office would probably want to keep him around as long as he's able to play.
1: All right. So I have to ask you, you're into year three now with Vic Fangio as Broncos head coach. And and Fangio was was an interesting hire because he kind of went against the grain of the current sort of – Sort of uh, way that that NFL teams go about, you know, hiring head coaches or or the type of coaches that they hire, because so many of these teams are hiring, like the Giants did, the sort of young, untested, out of left field head coach. You know, everybody's looking for the next, you know, for the next Sean McVay. You know, Fangio was a longtime defensive coordinator, really good defensive coordinator, had never gotten a shot as a head coach. You know, interestingly, gets that shot in Denver. I think you guys are 12 and 20 in two years with him as head coach. Um, what's the feeling about Fangio? Um, I know you guys haven't had the quarterback situation squared away th- that you want, but is does it feel like, does it seem like he's a long-term answer or is he a guy who, who could find himself, you know, on a short leash on a, on a hot seat here if things don't go well for the Broncos in 2021?
2: Yeah, I was on record early on um, during the coaching search, wanting a young guy at offensive, you know, an an offensive mind um, and a younger guy. And then they brought in Vic Fangio. And at the time they also brought in Rich Scangarello who was know um, been on Kyle Shanahan's staff and so he kind of filled that that young offensive mind a little bit as offensive coordinator along with Vic Fangio being the veteran defensive guy so at that point you kind of had almost the best of both worlds of okay we're going to get an innovative Kyle Shanahan type guy who can run his offense and Vic Fangio can just be the head coach and that didn't pan out Um, you know he's Rich Scangarello has moved on. And then, you know, obviously you, you guys know Pat Shermer well, and then he came over to, to Denver to run the offense. And so it's just interesting how I think for the Broncos, the head coach, unfortunately for Vic Fangio, the head coach, and even the offensive coordinator, both of their jobs are going to be tied to how the quarterback performs or tied to whether bron- the Broncos get a quarterback. And if the Broncos don't find an answer at quarterback, I think Vic Fangio could be looking for a job – know at the end of this year or within within the next year if not um, at the end of this year depending on how it goes and I mean I think he's done a good job with what he's been given I really like what he's done from a defensive standpoint I think he needs some growth at in-game decision making and you know he's a first-time head coach and so he's had some some um, blunders a little bit within games and um, you know calling timeouts at the wrong time you know those kinds of things and I would like to see him be more aggressive at times within the game. But I think overall Broncos fans would be happy with him and the moves that he's made as, as a head coach. If we had a quarterback situation that was stable and you could actually evaluate it kind of properly, I think it's been unfortunate for him. And it was a very similar situation with uh, the previous head coaches. I think, you know, Broncos fans, you know, certainly, No love lost when they uh, moved on for Vance Joseph, but he suffered from a similar thing. Is the Broncos just didn't have a quarterback situation, and so it's just so much tied to how the quarterback performs. And so um, I think you could probably, depending on how this year pans out, if the Broncos don't find an answer at quarterback, I think George Payton could be wholesale cleaning house potentially at the end of this year if the Broncos have another losing season. Big Fangio's now had three losing seasons. He still don't have a quarterback. I think you could see a, a complete overhaul maybe of George Payton just starting from fresh and hitting the reset button, which is you know, not something the Broncos fans wants because we've kind of had that already. And, <laughs> so we'd have to suffer through almost another rebuild, but I could see that on the horizon depending on how things go.
3: Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Loom Help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian Software for everything from space exploration and green energy to delivering pizzas and podcasts. Whether you're a team of two, at Atlassian.com. That's A T L A S S I A N.com. Atlassian. Before history is written,
1: Bobby Orr, the
3: it's played. Tinelli, the nice Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver. <laughs> It's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday.
1: All right, Jeffrey, as we continue, you know, talking about Broncos, Giants, Week 1, September 12th opener, I have to ask you about your offensive coordinator. This will be the, the big much anticipated <clears throat> uh return of, <laughs> of Pat Shermer, former Giants head coach, failed Giants head coach to MetLife Stadium as you know Broncos offensive coordinator. And, and let me say this: I mean, I'm 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 joking about Shermer a little bit, but I liked Pat Shermer as a person, I liked him as a guy. I thought Pat Shermer was a or has been a quality assistant coach in the NFL for a long time. He's not the most innovative offensive coordinator in the world. I simply thought that Pat Shermer was in over his head as head coach of the Giants. I think he proved in stints in Cleveland and New York that that his ceiling as a coach really should be at the coordinator level. Um, I'm just curious after a year with Pat Shermer, you know, and looking ahead to a second year with, with him, you know, running, running your offense in Denver, you know, what your thoughts are on, uh, on Shermer's work with the Broncos.
2: Yeah. And, um, I mean, I think his, his experience being a head coach voted well for him. I think Broncos fans liked that, the fact that he was coming over from being a head coach in New York and and coming back, you know, to Denver as a, as an offensive coordinator, instead of coming over, you know, as a a lateral move. Um, I would say, you know, I watched a lot of tape from Pat Shermer and his offense with the Giants. I watched a lot of Giants tape when we, when we brought in Pat Shermer and um, I would agree with your, you know, your assessment on his, his offense. And I mean, I thought he did some interesting things. Uh, to try to make Daniel Jones comfortable. And, um, you know, some of, them, some of them worked, some of them didn't pan out. And we were hopeful that some of the work that he did with Daniel Jones that was positive that he would bring over and maybe translate with Drew Locke. But um, I think Daniel Jones ended up fitting better, actually, for Pat Shermer, what he was doing than Drew Locke in terms of just the, um, you know, the, uh, the mental acumen that Daniel Jones already had. Uh, in terms of offensive schemes and, you know, being almost a pro ready type guy from a um, offensive installation standpoint, Drew Locke was very much not that way. And Pat Shermer came in and didn't really dumb down the offense for him. And I think it, it showed that he threw a lot at Drew Locke and and it took Drew Locke a while for, you know, to get it and um, really didn't start to click at all until maybe the end of the season when Pat Shermer potentially shifted some things up and, and tried to simplify it for him. And so, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a mixed bag with Shermer. is like, you, you, you don't want him to dumb down the offense completely and, and you want him to, to get drew lock up to a pro ready guy. But at the same time, I, I don't think there was a lot of adapting on Pat Shermer's point um, to drew lock. He was expecting drew lock to adapt to his system. And, we've seen that that just doesn't work with young quarterbacks time and time again, you have to tailor your system to, to the quarterback. I think how it worked with from, at least from what I saw, I would you know, interested in your perspective of, obviously you've watched a lot more giants than than I have, but from what I saw with Daniel Jones is it felt like Daniel Jones was more ready to take that challenge when Pat Shermer kind of threw it at him. And so he he did see some success in, in Shermer's offense. I thought at least from the tape that I watched and um, it just didn't translate to drew lock. So I mean, I think Shermer's an okay offensive coordinator. We're fine with him as a, with the Broncos. Um, I think his experience boded well for him after Broncos had a first-time offensive coordinator in Rich Scangarello that kind of failed. And so with a young quarterback, we wanted a veteran offensive coordinator that could maybe um, help develop him. So we'll see what happens in this, this upcoming offseason um, and how camp works out. But I will say, I think, Teddy Bridgewater probably fits Pat Shermer's system better than Drew Locke does, and so that may be, a, you know, a point in Teddy Bridgewater's camp of, of winning the the quarterback battle. So, I think probably Shermer's in the same boat as Vic Fangio and the Broncos' quarterback room. Is <laughs> depending on how this season goes, they could all be looking for a job, or you know, it's it's their opportunity to maybe turn it around and put something together. But um, I think you know, Pat Shermer is probably to your point at his ceiling as an offensive coordinator. And so it, it's a good thing in that he may not be going anywhere if, if he does well, but um, I think he could be looking for a job along with a lot of other Bronco coaches if things don't go well.
1: That's how it goes in the NFL for assistant coaches. When the top guy goes, pretty much everybody else goes underneath him. Hey, I have to ask you about one former giant, that the Broncos signed this off season. And I know all of my listeners are just dying to know what are you guys going to do with Cam Fleming?
2: <laughs> Hopefully he can play some right tackle. I, I've seen a little bit of um, his tape. He'll be competing with, with Bobby Massey. And I mean, honestly, I don't have a, a lot of, uh, I don't have a ton of high hopes for either of those guys. I'll put it that way. Um, Cam Fleming was a guy that, that I liked uh, coming out when he was initially drafted. I thought he had some good versatility, but I think maybe he's been that versatility has been overused a little bit as it seems like he can't really find a, a position is that I, I think if I'm not mistaken, he's kind of floated around um, and played, you know, kind of all, all over the place. Um, but we'll see how it shakes out. I think probably Fleming's maybe just as good a shot as Bobby Massey to, to get the majority of snaps, but um, the Broncos are in a tough spot at right tackle. I mean, those guys are available for a reason and it was so late in the um, kind of process when Juwan James got hurt. And so, um, you know, that's, that's been something that the Broncos fans have criticized the front office for is that we've kind of known for the last two years that Juwan James is injury prone, that we don't have a lot of tackle depth behind him, And they've passed on tackles in the draft and, you know, it came back to bite them this year, and so we'll see what happens. Hopefully, they can get some meaningful snaps out of either Massey or Fleming, at the right tackle position. But if not, they're they're going to be in trouble.
1: Well, I will tell uh, I will tell you this, and and Bronco fans, this I was actually happy a year ago when the Giants brought Cam Fleming into New York, because for five or six years, the first portion of his career. He was a very good swing tackle, a little bit of right, a little bit of left. I think he's dabbled at guard a little bit. I think his best position is probably right tackle. But I think that what we discovered in New York is kind of what we feared was because Nate Solder opted out, Andrew Thomas, I think the original plan was for Andrew Thomas to start his career at right tackle. Andrew Thomas, you know, fourth overall pick went to left tackle cam Fleming moved in as the starting right tackle. This was the first time in his six or seven year career that I think he had started more than six games in a season, started all 16 games and the results just weren't good. I think he's, he's probably a guy where you, you, If I'm a Broncos fan, I probably hope he's not my starting right tackle week one because he's, he, to me, he's a good fill in. He's a, he's a real, because he's a hard worker. He's a pro. He knows what he's doing. He's just not that physically gifted. He can probably help you for a game or two, but, but the more he plays, the more he'll get exposed. So, so if I, if I was you guys, I would be hoping that, that, that Bobby Massey comes in and impresses. Yeah, I
2: think that's the, the prevailing sentiment right now, particularly with you know, the amount of games that Massey has logged. I think he's put up 110 games or something like that in um, his career. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But, yeah, it's, it's definitely uh, slim pickings at the right tackle position for, for the Broncos. And, you know, that's been the case the last two years when Juwan James has gotten hurt and kind of left the Broncos um, a little bit high and dry at the position. Well,
1: we might be able to trade you Nate Solder. You know, maybe a number one <laughs> pick for Nate Solder. You, you, you might that might work. He's he's what in his? Uh, he's only in his
2: mid thirties or something, right? He's
1: in he's thirty two or thirty three. Okay, I believe. okay, yeah. yeah. You know,
0: That's just, worth at least just, a second because, round pick just, or something, right? Just because right? he
1: didn't play last year and he hasn't played right tackle since about two thousand and eleven. <laughs> you know, you guys would give us a second round pick, wouldn't you? <laughs> I will say,
2: um, and I haven't seen his tape in a little bit, but I really liked you. You guys took a um, one of my favorite offensive linemen a couple of years ago, Will Hernandez. Um, I don't, I don't know if he's played well last year, but I know I really liked him uh, coming out in the draft. I got to, I got a chance to meet him down at the senior bowl and watch him play um, when I went down to the senior bowl and cover it a couple of years ago. And, and he was a guy I really liked. And um, so I, not sure if he's you know, played well last year. I, I didn't watch a, a ton of the the offensive line. Um, yeah, he's, he's he's been he a had a
1: tough he now. had a tough 2020. He's he's been I describe him as kind of an adequate player with the Giants. He's been kind of an average starting guard, which and he's moving this year from left guard to right guard, which is interesting because he's never done that before, but. Hernandez, I think he disappoints Giants fans because we were told that this guy was the second best guard in the draft after Quentin Nelson. And Quentin Nelson is, of course, all world. And Hernandez just hasn't hasn't met that sort of expectation. He's a decent he's been decent, but I think because there's such a huge gap between decent and Quentin Nelson. Yeah. That 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 he's disappointed people, but hey, before I let you go, um, let me just throw this out. I don't know if there's a a question or two that that you might have for me in uh, in, in regards to to the Giants.
2: Yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit about um, the draft class, and that's something that you know Broncos fans uh, follow closely. We've got a lot of people at Mile High Report that are big fans of the draft and follow it pretty um, tightly, and interested to hear y'all's take and, you know, saw some of the moves that um, the Giants made. And um, I think it was, you know, obviously going, um, you know, first pick at receiver, that's kind of been, um, was a need for uh, the Giants, at least I thought. And so um, do you anticipate you getting a lot of snaps from your rookie class?
1: Oh, so it was really an interesting draft for the Giants, to be honest. I mean, they, they had the 11th overall pick, And as the draft unfolded, there was, there was kind of an expectation the way that the draft unfolded because the dolphins took Jalen Waddle at at six, there was kind of an expectation that, that if Devonta Smith was still sitting there, that he would be the pick for the giants. And of course the Eagles who always for some reason have it in for the giants. I, I I don't really understand that, but you know, I, I would, little NFC East rivalry I don't know but uh, you know the Eagles jumped up and, and and made that move and and I wasn't to be honest with you sold on Devonta Smith I think the expectation was that he was going to be the pick but you know the Giants once that happened they moved down to number 20 they you know they picked up some extra picks they took you know, Kadarius Toney, I think some people thought they might go offensive line there after they moved down. Um, loved the trade, loved the idea of, of Kadarius Tony. I think Kadarius Toney's had kind of a weird spring for the Giants. Um, had a had a, a weird thing happen at rookie minicamp where he didn't make it through his first practice because he had issues with his shoes. Um And then, you know, he, then he didn't show up for the, the, the voluntary OTAs, which, you know, rookies always show up for those, but he, but he didn't show up for those. And then his first practice of mandatory mini camp, he left early. (laughs) So, so he had a, he had a, (laughs) he had a weird spring and, you know, it just, it, it just makes you go, you know, what have the Giants done here? You know, but but the talent and what you see on film with Kadarius Tony and what he could possibly bring as a return man. And, and as a guy who could bail their offense out at times, you know, when you just, you just throw him the ball and he'll make a play for you, you know, just, just throw him the, the bubble screen or, or, you know, or something quick, you know, that's got, that's got him in motion and, and, you know, make a guy miss and make a play for you. That's an element that they haven't had, you know, at the, at the wide receiver position. So, you know, you, when you're, you look at it from a giant's perspective, you kind of hope that, uh that, you know, that the spring was just, you know, just a weird, you know, sort of welcome to the NFL for Kadarius Tony and not a sign that, 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 that this whole thing is going to go haywire. So, and, and, and the other thing the giants did the second round pick they made again, moving down from 42 to 50, taking Azizo gelari the edge rusher out of Georgia. And, and I'll be honest with you. I love that pick more than just about anything the giants did in the draft, because I would have been happy if they took him at 11. I almost expected them to take him at 20 Uh, Because he, to me, he was the edge defender, and I I hate the term edge rusher because these guys who stand up on the edge aren't only there to rush the passer. They do a lot more than rush the passer. I tend to use the word edge defender, and I looked at Ojolari because he can play going forward, because he can play going backward into the short areas of the field because he can play once in a while with his hand in the ground as a defensive end. I thought that for the New York giants, if they were going to draft an edge defender, that Ojalari was the perfect one for them. So I was ecstatic to see the giants get him at 50.
2: Yeah. I thought that was a good value for sure. Um, And there wasn't a lot of like top tier. I thought, you know, edge rushers in the class. So to be able to trade down and pick up a guy um In the second, when they did, I thought was a good move. If you if you needed an edge rusher, I think that was the way to go. Yeah, there were class.
1: there were there were guys that I liked, you know, and and but each and every guy that was a a first or second round edge rusher was sort of like a, a beauty in the eye of the beholder kind of kind of guy. It depended on what you were looking for and 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 what you do on defense.
2: Yeah. Yeah, for sure, an interesting class. It, it really across the board, I thought in, on the defensive line, edge defender, and then also defensive interior. There just wasn't a lot of um, depth at that position, particularly on the on the defensive interior. I think there was maybe one guy that went in first round, if I remember correctly. Yeah, um, I think I'm so. curious. I'm curious though. Well, on a, one more question for you about the Giants is. What's the consensus from the, the fan base about Daniel Jones? I mean, that's a guy that, you know, like I mentioned, I, I watched some tape on just from, from Pat Shermer. And then, you know, as Broncos country, with a young quarterback like a Drew Locke, there's been this massive debate in, you know, how long do you let a guy um, go before you decide if he's the guy or not, right? If you've invested some picks into him, how long you'd be patient. And everybody's looking at Josh Allen, who turned around his third year. And, you know, what's the consensus with Daniel Jones? Is the are the um, Giants fans wanting to be patient with him and they think that he can become the guy, or what what's the what's the prevailing sentiment?
1: Oh, I think the consensus is that this is New York and there's no consensus at all. But <laughs> it now, in all honesty, the deal with with Daniel Jones is there's a lot of talk. You mentioned Josh Allen, there's a lot of talk about about the Josh Allen-esque year three leap. And, you know, Baker Mayfield took a big leap as well. And the one thing that I can say is that from an organizational standpoint, the Giants are not confused. The Giants are all in on Daniel Jones. You know, Dave Gettleman is still the GM who drafted him. Joe Judge as head coach, you know, wasn't, you know, wasn't with the Giants when Jones was drafted, but Judge has been all in in support of Jones. Um, the Giants went all out this offseason, bringing in Kenny Galladay, um, you know, bringing in Kyle Rudolph, bringing in Devonta Booker as a backup running back for Saquon Barkley. Um, they went, you know, drafting Kadarius Tony. They went all in to to try to put weapons around him you know, that, that, that can show once and for all, you know, whether or not he's the guy, the general feeling I think is because. You know, this is also Dave Gettleman's fourth year as general manager. And I think that and the giants have had losing records each year, you know, of Gettleman's tenure and, 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 there's some impatience even from ownership. There's some impatience. John Mara said, you know, he's tired of losing. It's time to win some games. It's time for us. We feel like we're making progress, but it it needs to show up on the field. And there is a feeling that there will be some changes maybe at the general manager spot, maybe at offensive coordinator, maybe at quarterback depending on how this season goes. So so this could be a make or break season for Daniel Jones. Could be a you know, if he shows you enough then he gets to be the guy for the rest of his rookie contract if he has another 10 or 11 touchdown pass season like he did last year maybe the giants are convinced that they go in another direction they do have two first round picks in the in the 2022 draft so they could if they had to they could package those to move up and get a guy and start over i don't think they want to that's not the direction they want to go in obviously Uh, But this is a huge year for Daniel Jones, huge year for the Giants in general, just to figure out the direction of the franchise long-term.
2: Yeah, which is interesting that they play the Broncos kind of right out of the gate, because I would say there's a lot of similarities, Um, you know, not so much as Denver finding their guy and going to ride with him, but there's, you know, people don't know how the quarterback position is going to pan out. And this year is kind of a make or break year for potentially the, the head coach and um, what's going to happen in the off season next year. So it'll be, it'll be interesting when they square off.
1: It will be. I do think the giants are in a situation where they, they believe that they have the right head coach long-term, you know, but, you know, but do they have the right quarterback? What do they need around the quarterback yet? Do they, you know, do they have the right general manager? I think they, I think the organization has a lot of respect for Dave Gettleman and, and doesn't want to fire him and I think that what will happen is if they have another bad year you know Gettleman will will quietly and or not so quietly maybe retire to Cape Cod (laughs) which he's talked about in the past but anyway Jeffrey you are right should be an interesting game between two teams that do have a lot of similarities and uh you know, I, I need to spend some time on the phone with some, of these, uh, with some of these odds makers and see what in the heck they're thinking here.
2: Yeah, I think yeah, by the time it's all said and done, it's pretty much a coin flip and you've you got the Giants at home, and um, I think you know that probably gives them the edge a little bit, at least until Denver figures out their quarterback situation and knows who's going to start. But, um, you know, both hoping for a good game either way and, and for both teams to stay healthy.
1: There you go. Hey, why don't you tell folks uh, you know, where they can find your podcast, where they can find your work, all that good stuff before I let you go.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You can find us on milehighreport.com. Um, I'm on Twitter at Jeffrey Essery. You can hit me up there. Um if you wanna, you know, uh are you about the Broncos or, you know, throw anything that you my way that you didn't like and and we can get into it on Twitter now, but um that that is a place you can you can follow me there if you like and then um, On any of your major podcast outlets, you can look for Cover 2 Broncos if you're interested in uh, myself and my uh, co-host Joe Rowles. We uh, do a a podcast there and talk through the Broncos, usually breaking down film and scheme and things like that and try to get a lot of um, people that are smarter than us and and talk to them about it. So that's a lot of fun. So you can find us on Spotify or, or other
1: things there. You know, I I don't know if you've done a good thing or not there by inviting Giants fans to come on Twitter and argue with you. <laughs> I did right. it anyway,
2: probably. And so I um, might as well just put the invitation out there.
1: All right. Hey, thank you very, very much for uh, spending some time with us today. Giants fans, thank you as always for listening. Please remember to subscribe to Big Blue Radio on all of your favorite podcast applications. Please stay safe out there, take care of each other, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.